Now you're doing all right? Everybody's cake to pie. Too Mickey, too Mickey. <laughs> all my Maori cliches. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think that's about it. <laughs> It's great to be uh, with you again tonight, and um, how many of you uh, received something from the Lord this morning in the Word, as I was sharing the Word? Some of you weren't there, some of you were there. Um, I want to carry on tonight, and um, what a great topic uh, that I was given to share from this evening, and uh, that is how to draw from the wellspring of life. So I'm, I'm kind of, um, first of all, the first part, I just want to share a little bit about um, the motivation that's required for us to stay connected to Jesus. Is this a bit loud? I've got a, quite a loud voice. All right, bro, thanks. Um, and then I just want to, I want to I just share with you the things that the Lord's taught me to stay connected with him over all these years of ministry. Unfortunately, over my time in ministry, I've seen many come and go, as no doubt you have. I've seen come in with passion, with fire, with, with incredible testimonies. And I come back and I say, where are they? And uh, they, they're no longer walking with the Lord. And uh, so I want to share with you stuff with you that I believe can help you walk with Jesus all the days of your life. World without end, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Bishop Greg? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So I want to go back in time, about a year after I was um, saved, and uh, I'd landed myself a pretty good job. I'd been personally mentored by a prophet, spent many hours in prayer, uh, was in the Word every day, and then the Lord shifted me. Uh, five hours south of the North Island, and I was, I was sent on a mission to go and share the gospel with my family. I was the first one in my family to come to know Christ. When I saw my dad and his partner and my mum and her husband and my sisters who didn't know Christ, and, and I, would just, I would just go and talk to them about you know, what Jesus had done for me. And then I noticed as I kind of was still building a place of new friendships in Christ, I'd shifted locations, so I was having to make new friends and get to know a new group of people in a new congregation. It was a congregation I eventually ended up pastoring a few years down the track. And, um, and I noticed that I was starting to feel dry. And, uh, and I was starting to dodge my prayer times. I was starting to skip the word There'd be a few days between readings, and inevitably I was starting to feel very weak in my walk with Christ. And, uh, and I was kind of alarmed at it because I knew from my mentoring that these were signs that should not be ignored in a follower of Jesus' life. And so I thought, I had this idea in my head, let, I'll just get away from everybody. I'll just get away from everybody. This is before I was married. Couldn't get away from her because I wasn't married to her. And uh, 
And, uh, and so I thought I'll, I'll, I'll pack up a tent and I'll go and find a remote location where it can just be me on my own. And I wasn't even that fussed about the Jesus part really at that point <laughs> because I'd been leaking. And, uh, and so I, I thought, I know where I'll go. I'll go to this location where nobody else goes. Uh, remote location that I knew about from my childhood. So I found my way down there and I pitched my tent next to the river. There was nobody else there. And, uh, you know, I was, I, I, I was working at a new company and, and uh, there were some pretty young girls there and I was the only Christian in the company and some of them had started flirting with me. And I was sort of starting to feel the, the, the pangs of the before Christ life, starting to bark at the door. And uh, so you wouldn't believe it. I set my tent up, put my little chair out in front of my tent, sit down, and suddenly I hear the engine of a car coming down through the bush, getting closer and closer to me. And suddenly out of the bush comes this vehicle with two really hot young girls who decided to find a remote location to spend some time to get away from the world. And they pitch, they stop the car. Hi. And they proceed to pitch their tent right next to mine in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And they were very friendly. They were of the friendly variety. And uh, so before long, I felt certain things starting to pull me in certain directions. And I knew, I knew in my heart that I had to make a decision right there and then about my next move. What was I going to do? Because I knew if I didn't move, it wasn't going to be good. And I also knew that it may take a long time to recover from that next move. I knew it was going to cost me. And so suddenly Timothy was speaking to me, flee youthful lust. Suddenly Paul the Apostle was speaking to me through my early scripture memorization uh, progress that I'd had as an early follower of Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. There's no temptation taking you as except such as is common to man. But with every temptation, God will make a way of escape so that you may be able to Bear up underneath that. There was an exit door that God was showing me. And I had a choice to make. Would I take it? So by the grace of God, I, these girls, they, suddenly they saw me packing down my tent. And I didn't say a word to them. I didn't bother even engaging with them. One more time, I packed my tent up, chucked it in my car, and I got out of there just like Joseph got out of Potiphar's house. And I, I took the fast track out of that place and I went in and, I, and, I, and, I, and it suddenly dawned on me that isolating myself was not a God idea, but it was a demonic idea. And you see, Proverbs says this, Proverbs 18 verse 1, a man or a woman who isolates themselves seek after their own desire. They seek after their own desire and they rage against all wise judgment. 
And it was probably one of the first lessons that I learned that I was born into a family of other followers of Jesus who I needed desperately around my life at all times. And the way of isolation was not God's way for me to move forward in my walk with God. And I also knew that if I was going to follow the track of isolation, that spiritually I would be diminished. And if you like, my spiritual net worth would be taken away from. And that the enemy who's been a very smart, cunning serpent for thousands of years knows how to exploit the weaknesses of this sinful nature. Does he not? And so therefore, the priority of establishing and maintaining and growing in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is paramount, not only for you, but for Jesus to make progress because he said, I've got a kingdom that I'm building and this kingdom is coming to the earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And his will was going to be established through a growing committed follower of Jesus Christ who understood that the ways of the world in his former life were not going to help build the kingdom, but would be like the stick of dynamite that the devil loves to put in the pocket of believers who who will surrender nearly every area of their life. But there's one area that they refuse to to submit to, and the, the devil just keeps that stick of dynamite in your back pocket. And he's got the detonator. And he won't detonate it right there and then because he can't do enough damage. He'll wait until you're weighted with responsibility. He'll wait until you're the supposed model that others are looking up to. And then at the time to maximize damage to the the Lord's kingdom and to the reputation of the righteous, detonation will happen. And all hell breaks loose and the name of Jesus gets rubbished and run down through a broken follower of Christ who never understood that the ways of man are not the ways of God. So I want to share with you some simple motivations that I've found, and then I'm going to share with you some of the things that I've done over 30-odd years of following Christ that have kept me by His grace. It's not by works, but by His grace. But things that, if you like, are the, are the rail tracks that keeps the train heading in the right direction. You know, without tracks, that train's never going to get to its destination. It needs to stay on track in order to reach the next station. And for all of us here tonight, there's a next station that God has for your life and for your ministry. And there are certain things that you can deploy that Jesus has taught in his word that will help you reach your destination and hopefully bring a whole lot of others with you in that destination. Amen. So if I look back on that episode in my life, it was my disconnection with Jesus that resulted me in, in me pursuing my own desires and setting me up to get picked off by my enemy. Jesus made it very clear to us when he called the 12 and the original calling. He'd had them all around. He'd had other followers around. There were more than 12. You understand this? He stayed up all night in prayer before the Father, before he chose the 12 apostles. And this is what Mark's gospel says about that first call that he gave the 12. Mark 3.14, then he appointed the 12, listen to this, that they might be with him 
Did you get that? He appointed them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. This is the order for your life period, that you would first be with Jesus before you think about your ministry and what you may be sent and called to carry on behalf of Jesus. Your first and primary calling in in your followership with Jesus is that you will be with Jesus and you'll learn how to stick with Jesus. You'll learn how to abide with Jesus. You'll learn how to stay close to Jesus. And then you can be sent with power and authority because you carry the presence and you carry the authority of the Holy Spirit because you've been in relationship with God. Do you see that progression there right from day one? You know, it's relationship is everything. It's like what happens in a marriage or any relationship when we start, start skimping time with one another. It becomes more like not an, a relationship, but an arrangement. And our relationship is reduced to an arrangement that we have. And before long, there's no vibrancy in that relationship. There's no reality within that relationship. It's all about coming and going like ships in the night. And there's nothing real anymore that's in that relationship. So why is your connection, ongoing connection to Jesus Christ so vital? Well, the first thing I want to say is that your ongoing connection to Jesus, it maintains your first love, which Jesus never wants you to get rid of. He never wants you to get rid of that first love that you have in your walk with Jesus Christ. You know why it's such a powerful force, keeping that first love within your life? Have you ever seen newly married? They're kind of like all over each other. You know, they just can't stand being separated, you know, from one another. They want to spend time with each other wherever they go. It's like the very thought that they would go in separate directions when they got free time. My gosh, this is blasphemy. (laughs) That's right. I'll walk on. I'll I'll work on Paul for you. You know, where there's there's when when you're not around them, where there's an ache that's in your heart because you're not present and you're not spending time together with them. And it's just like that with Jesus. When you start putting distance between you and Jesus, do you remember, do you remember all the disciples said, we'll never forsake you. Oh no, we'll never forsake you. And uh, one by one, Jesus turned to them all and he said, by this time, you're going to all have denied me. And specifically he spoke to Peter and said, before the cock crows twice, you would have denied that you even knew me three times. Do you remember that? Do you remember when Judas betrayed him and they took him away? And the Bible says this, literally, word for word, and Peter followed Jesus at a distance. And straight after that, a young girl sees him. She says, you were with the Galilean. And he vehemently denied with cursing, cussing, and swearing that he'd ever had any association with Jesus. The man who he loved and had spent three and a half years of his life with, he's flatly denying. What happened, friends? This is what happened. His proximity to Jesus changed. He used to be right on Jesus' shoulder, and suddenly it says he's followed Jesus at a distance, and as soon as he followed Jesus at a distance, 
his behavior began to change and things began to manifest within his life, like the old language that we may have used to have had prior to meeting Christ, starts appearing and surfacing within his life because he'd put distance between himself and Jesus. I tell you what, Jesus spoke to the seven churches. He spoke to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, and he says this in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. So your first love is a powerful motivating force within your life. Secondly, your relationship, an ongoing relationship, it models who you are, not who you would like to be, not the, not the fantastical person that you think you want to become, but your first love models to others who you are as a follower of Christ. And I want to tell you today, No matter who you are in this room, people are watching your life. They are looking at you. Some of of them have got the binoculars right on you, and you're not even aware. People are watching you in the workplace. They're watching your attitudes. I had so many opportunities in the workforce prior to coming into full-time ministry where the Lord would literally say to me, that that person's watching you, that person's watching. And I would deliberately walk out of my way and smoke her breaks to go and pick them off one by one because they all used to pick on me when they were in a crowd. But when I got them on their own, they were like little puppies. And I could just share the gospel with them and share my testimony with them and they would just melt like butter as the Holy Spirit would come and work uh, within their lives. People are watching you. And the thing is, friends, is this, is that you actually reproduce who you are, not who you want to be, not who you'd like to be, but you can only reproduce who you are. And so if I'm, if I'm teaching my church, you need to pray, and I'm not praying, guess what? I'm never going to have a praying church because I will reproduce the seed that is in me, what is in my life. Paul the Apostle just finished telling the Corinthian church, in 1 Corinthians 10, therefore, wherever you, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And then in chapter 11, verse 1, he says this, imitate me as I also have imitated Christ. And so your relationship is vital because people are watching you. You are a model for them. You are, you are can I put it like this? You're the shop window on display. What are people looking at when they look at you? A kind of acid test, isn't it, for our Christianity? And so um, the word imitate means copy, mimic, follow. It means watch. We all know what that means. And thirdly, the third motivation is that, honestly, having an up-to-date relationship with Jesus Christ, this is what it will do for you. It makes you relevant. Some people think that they're relevant by the clothes they wear. You can see that I'm not very relevant by the clothes that I wear. My wife keeps telling me that. You need to go and see somebody that can teach you how to dress. James. <laughs> but you see, I'm not too fussed about that on that side of things because my relevance is not about the clothes I'm wearing. It's not about the car that I drive. It's not about the neighborhood that I live in. My relevance will come out of my up-to-date relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ can make you relevant to anyone if you have an up-to-date relationship with him. Is that true? You know, when, the, when Jesus, all the scribes and the Pharisees, when they preached, they were boring. They were long-winded. 
They would cite the Old Testament. They would preach for hours on end. That this is what they said about Jesus when he got up to speak. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What word is this? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Was Jesus relevant? Why was he relevant? Because he was present in the moment, and he had something to say because he'd been spending time with the Father, and he was living in God's present tense, present moment, relevant because he had and he was carrying something vital in his relationship with the Lord. So I want to give you six quick keys, and they are quick today for the sake of time. And we're going to have some dialogue. I've sent some questions down for us to talk around the table tonight about some of the things. And I've kind of like, I could dive into any one of these things tonight, and we could just talk, but because I'm visiting, and I'm only here twice a year, I'm just going to give you some of the things that God has taught me how to, uh, what to do, and staying connected with Jesus. So number one is that go after a daily connection with God. Don't leave the daily out of your life with Jesus. You've got to find the time. You've got to, you, people say, I'm too busy, I don't have the time. Friends, we all have the same amount of time every day, 24 hours a day, 168 hours a week. We all have the same time. It's about what you're budgeting your time with. It's how you're spending and allocating your time. Saying I don't have the time to have a relationship with Jesus is a pitiful excuse. What did Jesus say when he sorted out the sheep and the goats? I never knew you. Hello? Why didn't he ever knew you? Because he never got time to spend with you because you were always too busy citing that you never had time. You've got the same time as me. I've got the same time as you. It's finding the time, plugging in the time, and making an appointment just like what you would make an appointment with your dentist, your doctors. Make a daily appointment with Jesus and keep it. Hallelujah. And you will grow just with that one key. I talked about that scripture this morning. Blessed is the man who listens to me watching daily at my gates. I won't go into that anymore, but at the end of that verse says, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. There's a life of favor over a daily seeker with the Lord. And I want to tell you, you have to wrestle for that appointment. You have to fight for that appointment. You'll have to fight off all these distractions. You'll have to fight off all these ways that people can tell you how you can better spend your time. And it's so easy to get distracted and get pulled off course Make the daily appointment. Treat it like an appointment with your doctor that's going to charge you for it whether you turn up or not. (laughs) That'll keep you going. I better turn up. Get my money's worth. Hallelujah. Number two, Jesus said that we've all got a closet that we need to find. Find your closet. That's find that place. For all of us, I've discovered over pastoring 30 years that this place is different for every single one of us. But Jesus spoke it like this in Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, enter into your closet. And when you've shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. Notice he says, not if you pray, but when you pray. There was an expectation on every follower of Christ. When you pray. In fact, he said three things in Matthew 6. He said, when you give, not if you give. He said, when you pray, not if you pray. And he said, when you Fast. Oh, fast. The lost art in the modern church. When you fast, when you give, when you pray, and when you fast. So 
How do you learn to pray? It's exactly the same way I taught all of my sons how to drive. You got to get them in the driver's seat and you got to go out with them and let them drive. It's the only way to learn. People say, I don't know how to pray. So how much time have you spent learning how to pray? But I don't really know how to pray. You know how you learn how to pray? You pray. (laughs) How do you learn how to drive? You drive. You jump in the car and you drive. You will be amazed at how good you get at praying by going to pray. (laughs) Am I sounding like a good Irishman right now? That's the truth of the matter. You will learn how to pray by praying and making that commitment to pray. But this is what Jesus said. He said, enter into your closet. And when you've got into your closet, shut the door. This is what I've found, depending on what type of a person you are, what type of a mind you have, whether you've got one of those 100% amped out, always on the march type of minds, and you're just like thinking this, that, the next thing. There's so many distractions. Take a notebook, take a pencil into your prayer time. Get every single distraction that's coming out of your mind. Write it on the piece of paper. No more distractions. Simple tip. No more distractions. The devil can't bother you anymore because you've written all those things down on a piece of paper. Now you can pray. You find your closet. You find the place. What that simply means is that you find the place where you can be undistracted with God. Shut the door and start communing with God at that point. I've Over the years, I've had a prayer room in my house. I've had... Um, Uh, Over the years, I've had uh, a special place in my garage with my cold concrete floor with no carpet because I don't want to wake the house up early in the morning by praying. And uh, but my my zone and my wheelhouse is prayer walking, so I'm able to engage with God. Some can't because they get too distracted prayer walking, but I'm able to engage with God. And have the double benefits. I live in, a, in, a, in, a, in an expanding neighborhood in Auckland. And, and I have the benefits of actually being a, a reverend on the job for my neighborhood. And I'm getting to know all of my neighbors through prayer walking. And I, I don't see them as an interruption to my prayer walking. As I'm praying, I'm engaging with people that I live close to. And you know what happened the other day? I've, I'm, I've engaged with a woman who's in the last stages of cancer. She's got a brain tumor. And I know that Jesus desperately wants to share the gospel with this woman. But she's a very, very clever lady. And, uh, and I can tell that she's very hostile to the gospel. So I've been presenting myself as a living sacrifice to her and letting her get to know me as a person. And so I will stop and I'll engage with her for 10 minutes on my prayer walk. And you see, it's all on the job. As we're praying, God's actually answering the heart of the cry of my heart, which is to make Jesus real to my neighbors. And so you know what she did the other day? She rung me and she said, have you met the new French lady in our neighborhood? And I said, yeah, actually I have. I met her prayer walking. I met her prayer walking. She's brand new to the neighborhood. And she said, and she said to me, she's really lonely. She said, could you come with me? She says, could you come with me and let's go to her house and let's talk about how we can help her. Because Jesus said the strategy for evangelism is Luke 10, 
which is to find the person of peace that God has prepared in your neighborhood, your workplace, and it's a special person who probably isn't even a believer. Jesus never made any mention about the person of peace being a believer, but they're a person that God gives you favor with, and they're a person who's extremely well connected, and they will open doors of opportunity for you to meet so many people. And this woman's the, she's the longest living member who lives in our community. She's lived there longer than anyone else. She knows everybody, and God's given me favor with her. Guess what's going to happen? Because we're going to start another church in our neighborhood about August. We're starting a new church out where we live. And so we're going to step out and go all over again, just like we did six years ago. We're going to go and do it all over again because God's given us favor in our neighborhood. So, um, and the next thing he says this, he says, pray to your father in secret and your father which sees in secret shall reward you openly. Listen, this is basic, but it needs to be restated. And that's simply this. Prayers get rewarded. Hello? He says, when your father sees you in secret, he will reward you openly. There is a favor that comes upon the life of a prayer, a person who stays connected to the Lord within their life. I mean, the greatest reward of a secret prayer life is intimacy with God, without a shadow of a doubt. That's the greatest reward, and everything else on top of that is a bonus. But Jesus is saying that the Father has special rewards for people who have a prayer life. And I just want to say this. If you're finding that you're complaining, you're criticizing, that stuff's floating up out of your well, I want to ask you to examine how has your time been behind that shut door with the Lord. Has it been vacant? Because you'll probably find that if there's stuff floating around in your well that is negative and it's starting to come out of your mouth, then you've probably haven't been in that place where you've shut the door in secret where God is rewarding you openly. The third thing I've found about seeking God is that you've got to find a rhythm. There's a rhythm to everything in life. There's a rhythm to exercise. There's a rhythm to running. There's a, there's a rhythm to reading. There's a rhythm to writing. There's a rhythm to family life, whatever it is. And until you break into a regular rhythm, rhythm you'll find it hard to be consistent, staying connected to God. You've got to find your rhythm. Everyone has a rhythm that you can connect to. And so for me... Um, and uh, it's interesting, I'm discipling another gang member at the moment, and he said to me, I can't pray. And I said, have you tried 7-Up? And he said, what's 7-Up? And I said, it's a new rhythm, it's a pattern that I tell all new believers to get into. As soon as you wake up in the morning, go and pray for seven minutes minimum. Put yourself on the clock. Pray for seven minutes for seven days and then come back and tell me how your prayer life is. You know what happens? By the time they hit seven, the seventh day and they've consistently done it, the missus is crying. This is what happened to him. The missus cried, hey, come and help me because he'd gone double his time uh, in his prayer time because he discovered a rhythm. You need to break into a rhythm. And for me, I've always had a rhythm. The Lord taught me the, the Lord's prayer. And I just break the Lord's prayer down into seven Ps. Paternal or Papa, our Father who is in heaven. Presence, hallowed be your name. That's the worship of entering in and proclaiming the names of God. I learned all the compound names of God. Jehovah Shema, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom. 
and I learned all the compound names of God and I would declare them over my life and I would get access immediately into the presence of God. And then as we come through, uh, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. I'm beginning to establish priorities in your life. That's an establishment of a priority. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Number one priority in your life. So I start establishing the priority of the kingdom in my life and the priority of the kingdom for all those around me who aren't yet connected with Christ. And I'm entering into this rhythm of the Lord's Prayer. I'm praying through the Lord's Prayer, and I have a rhythm. It's not, it's not a religious thing. It's not a by rote thing. I'm finding life in this rhythm, and this rhythm is finding life in me. And as I move through, I move out of the kingdom coming, and I'm moving, give, it, give us this day our daily bread. I'm moving into provision. And I begin to pray over every area of my life where I want to see the Father's provision, not just for me, but provision for others. And then I move into the area of pardon. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass. I call it spiritual breathing. You breathe in God's forgiveness and you breathe out forgiveness to others. The realm of being in good relationship with all people at all times. Amen? You know what most people don't understand at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus put a caveat on the whole thing. And he said this, if you will not forgive others, God will not forgive you. So this part of the prayer is vitally important as we get our relationships sorted out. At one time, God spoke to me about the relationship with my boss. And he said, you stole off your employer. This is a a year and a half after I left the job. And he said, I want you to go back to your employer because I have this against you, James. You're a thief. And you have the ability to restore back to your employer what you stole from him. I want you to drive five hours north, make an appointment to see your old boss, confess to him what you've done, ask for his forgiveness, and then pay him back all the money that you stole from him. So I I thought, this is sweet. I just went back. I made the appointment. He was so happy to see me. He'd seen my conversion while I was working for him. He'd seen that I'd had a radical change. He had to keep tapping me on the shoulder, stop sharing the gospel, stop sharing the gospel all the time at work. And, uh, but the amazing thing was I, I shared with him and he sat in the chair opposite me, shocked, and he didn't speak for five minutes, just looked at me. And, and I said, are you okay? And he said, I'm just making up my mind whether I'm going to pick this phone up and call the police. I'm thinking, flip up, that never even entered into my mind. If that had entered into my mind, I'm not sure if I would have probably done it, you know. <laughs> He's going to call the cops and they're going to come and take me away. And then so he made me sweat for another couple of minutes. And then this big, broad smile cracked over, over, over his face and he said, he said, Jim, what you've done today is a really brave and courageous thing. I'll take all the money. Thank you very much. But, he said, but, he, but then he, he left me with a sting in my spirit. And this is what he said to me. He said to me, out of all the people that I've had working for me over the years, he said, I never thought you would have ever stolen anything off me. Ouch. Oh, that hurt. But you see, that was part, I, I could carry on praying the next day, but if I hadn't made an appointment to rectify the relationships that were in the wrong, you know what would have happened? The Holy Spirit would have nagged me and nagged me and nagged me every time I come around to this part of the prayer and said, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? This is all about walking in relationship with me. And then, of course, uh, we come down to the power. Uh, uh, for thine is the kingdom. Uh, sorry, deliver us from the evil one. 
And this is all about our, our wrestle with the principalities and powers and coming from a position of Christ's victory within our lives and seeking to have that dominion in our life over the evil one. And then finally, we end in praise. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. And I finish my time with God and worship. Now, I want to tell you something. If you learn the Lord's Prayer and you learn the rhythm of the Lord's Prayer, you may have a completely different way of connecting with God. But the disciples got this because they watched Jesus and how good he was connecting to the Father. And they said, show us how you do that. Teach us how to pray, Lord. And he said, well, this is the manner in which you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven. And he began to teach them the Lord's Prayer. And I've found that this rhythm over my life, it's never left me. And I can, I can easily spend one hour with God going through the Lord's Prayer just like that. And the time will go just like that. Because I one, number one, I believe it's anointed. Number two, I believe that Jesus taught this is how we pray. And number three, it keeps you focused and on track with God and the Holy Spirit will walk through that track. Number four, nearly coming to an end. Simple one, follow a, follow a regular Bible reading plan. I highly recommend the F260. How many of you have tried unsuccessfully to read the Bible through in one year from cover to cover? Can I see your hand? Okay, unsuccessfully, yeah. How many of you have been successful? Okay, so there's a gap between the haves and the So some of you haven't even tried. That's all I can assume, all right? <laughs> you haven't even tried. That's cool. That's cool. But I recommend the F260 uh, plan, which can be found at replicate.org. And the F260, what the F260 is, is that they've carefully gone through and they've collected all the major themes of Scripture, all the major themes that we need to know about, and they give you a break on the weekends. So the Bible reading plan, (laughs) because I have for 30 years tried unsuccessfully and failed every year to read the whole Bible through in 12 months. And so I found this plan, and this plan is achievable because it will take you through five days of reading, give you a break, and that's either a break or it's a catch-up time, depending on how your week has gone as to whether you've got some readings to catch up on. And also within the plan, they give you two scripture verses out of your readings every, every week for you to memorize, which is an added bonus uh, for you to have. You know, the Word of God says this, 100, Psalm 119.11, Your word I have hidden in my heart. Why? So that I will not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119 verse 16, I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Remember the story that I told you at the start where I was in deep trouble? It was the scriptures that I committed to memory that saved my bacon that day because they instantly came up from my spirit where I'd stored them and the Holy Spirit used them to convict me and and help me in a course of action that was going to preserve my integrity. So find that... um, Bible reading plan and listen, uh, apps like um, Olive Tree, apps like Uversion, the Bible. If you look at Uversion, an app on your phone, Uversion has got some of the most fantastic Bible reading plans. Every imaginable plan possible, possibly known to man, is there. And if you look up the reading plans, you'll find that you can do the Book of Acts in thirty days, or you can read a proverb, a, a chapter of Proverbs a day on the Bible reading plan, or you can go through the New Testament in three months. All variations depending on where you believe that God wants you to focus. But the thing is, get a plan 
and stick to the plan. Don't be one of these people that opens your Bible, closes your eyes, and then spins the wheel. And where your finger's pointing to, that's your Bible reading for the day. That's not a good method of discovering the counsel and the will of God for your life. Second to last tonight, keep a journal. I keep two journals. And I write in these journals nearly every single day. Two journals. I keep a journal of my life events. So I will literally journal what's happened at the rock today from my perspective. And I journal events that have taken place. I don't journal like things like, you know, I went for a, to the walk to, to the dairy to get a bottle of milk and a, a loaf of bread and then I came home. I don't journal like that. I journal the events of my life, you know, that I nearly beat Greg at phase 10. I, I'll journal things like that. They're important. <laughs> nearly. They're so close. Ah, so annoying. So I'll keep a journal of that. And you know why I do that is because you can actually look back on your life events from 12 months and you can actually realize how much God's done in your life in 12 months. And I also keep in that journal about my life events, I keep a visual journal. So wherever I am, I'll take a picture because a picture speaks a thousand words. And that journal will instantly bring me back to what I was doing 12 months ago or five years ago or whatever. And the reason why I do that is there's a principle that the, in the New Testament that says that the Old Testament was written for our example so that we won't fall into the same mistakes. And so when I've gone through some big, heavy issue things in my life, I journal about them. And when I read them again, it brings me great um, hope and great affirmation within my life of how the grace of God has been working within my life. Now, the second journal I, I write, you can either use one of these two things, either soap or hair. Have either of you heard of anyone heard of, heard of soap or hair? Anyone heard of hair? Hair, highlight the scripture. Height light. I like that word. Height light. Height light. Height light the verse. So when you go through your daily reading, there'll be something, there will be a verse or two verses that God will be speaking to you through. Highlight that verse either physically or write it into your journal and then explain and use a series of questions which I won't go into for the sake of time tonight where you can extract God's goodness out of that verse and you explain that verse and then you look for the application for your life. What is God saying to you today that you need to do with what you've just found in the Word of God? And then you respond. Now I've used soap for years, scripture, observation, application and prayer. So in my journal, which I, this is a digital journal that I keep, I have, daily, I have daily soaps that I've recorded over my life. Now you'd be amazed, most of those soaps that I get from my daily readings are where I get my sermons from. So God will give me the seed thought out of my daily reading and my devotions. And as I begin to write them down in such a pattern... I write the scripture down. I write the observations of what I'm seeing in that scripture. And then I write down the application of what God is saying for me and asking for me to do about what I've just read. And then, which I find incredibly powerful, I write a two to three sentence prayer. And this prayer has blessed my life so much. I've gone back over my journals and seen where God has literally answered all these prayers for me over the years. And this is also what we use for our discipleship groups. 
And I'm teaching all the guys now that I'm, we're kind of like at the first level of discipleship and we're moving into a phase two of discipleship. But when we get together, what we talk about, you say, well, what's the curriculum for your discipleship groups? The curriculum is what God has been speaking to the people about. What has God been speaking to you about in your journal? And we go around the room and everybody shares because they're writing in their journal because we've taught them how to journal. And we've taught them how to seek the Lord. And out of their interaction personally with the Holy Spirit, they begin to share how God has been speaking to their hearts. And this is training people, disciples, how to hear the voice of God through the Scriptures. Incredibly powerful. Is that a help to anyone tonight? Lastly, but not leastly, number six, remain on call at all times. I believe That's learning how to stay present in every moment of your waking days is the great key to spirit-led living. I believe this, that many of us clock out. We treat our daily devotions like a duty and a tick box that we've accomplished for the day. And when we say amen, we literally mean it. We say amen for the rest of the day until we meet with God the next day. There's no interaction. There's no being open to the Holy Spirit during the course of your day. There's no being present in the moment in the marketplace ministry where God has sent you to work. We literally, when we said amen to the Lord, it was like, I'll see you tomorrow, Lord. This is what I believe, and I know, I know this to be true, and this is what we try and teach our guys, is that we, we teach our guys that wherever you are, God can use you no matter what time of the day or night if you will stay present in the moment. Literally, the Holy Spirit's looking, and He's looking to see if there's something written on your forehead that simply says, I'm available. I'm available. That's what on call means. You know, and sometimes for me, it's a real challenge. I'm about to go on a week's holiday and we've had a really busy year. We've had people coming to Christ left, right and center. We've been discipling people in our church. And it's just like, ah, oh, I can't wait to get on holiday. And then the Lord keeps reminding me, on call, James, on call, even on holiday, on call, on call. Last time when I was on holiday, uh, this woman just came up to me in this big super mega store. She just came up to me out of nowhere and she just started talking to me. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm on holiday. <laughs> you know, this, this pastor's off duty. You know, I'm, I'm not on call. And then the Lord reminded me, and Viv wondered where on earth I got to. In the end, she actually, she said, she said to me, can you tell me more? Could I shout you a cup of coffee? Could we sit down? This was an Aussie. This was an Aussie, which I took great delight at, getting to sit down with an Aussie and share the gospel with an Aussie. And I literally shared the gospel with her. She paid for the cup of coffee, and then I led it to the Lord, all on holiday. Why was that? Because I could have got annoyed at her and thinking, well, I'm on holiday, I don't need to talk to you. I'm not on call. But if you stay on call and you have an up-to-date relationship with Jesus, those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the true sons and daughters of God. Romans 8 actually says to us today, my greatest breakthroughs have all come when I've been on call. I'll finish with a couple of stories about this on-call business. Remember I told you I was the only person in my family that was a Christian? I was working at this place that I told you that I was working at before. And, uh, and I'd had a really tough day at the office. And as I was walking out to my car, 
I suddenly felt a huge heaviness come over me. You know, normally when you clock off at five o'clock, there's a great lightness that comes upon you. Have you ever noticed that? And so I, as I, and I was thinking, what on earth is this? And I thought, this is an attack of the devil. So as I had a 30-minute commute in my car, and as I was driving in my car, in the name of Jesus, I was, I, was, I was literally rebuking every demon that I knew in that car. And you know what happened? The heaviness got heavier and heavier and heavier. And I didn't know what was happening to me, but I knew that something real was going on, and I didn't understand it. By the time I got home, I was literally bent over, and I went into, and I went into um, my bedroom, and, uh, and we just had floorboards. And I, I literally, I couldn't sit in the chair. I had to lie down prostrate on the floor. And as I was on the floor, suddenly I was taken into the spirit. This is now about 6 p.m. in the evening. I was taken into the spirit, and, and, and this is back in the late 80s. We never had flat screen TVs in the late 80s. And, and so, you know, they were predestined, so God knew how they were built. And suddenly, <laughs> he turned on this 4K, full color, LCD, and it was like, shoo, right in front of me. And on screen was the face of my father. My father had just gone through a bankruptcy. My father had just lost all of our inheritance as a family. One of the majestic homesteads of New Zealand. Ten bedrooms. 10,000 square foot home, and he'd lost it all over a $10,000 credit card debt. Lost everything. He only knew how to be a farmer, didn't have any other skills on board, and, uh, and he was broken. And as I'm on my face, there is my father's face, piercing bright blue eyes that had, had the saddest, it was the most uh, despondent look in anyone's eyes I'd ever seen as I was directly looking into the face of pain. And, 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 and something happened within me as I'm in the spirit. And all I can do is I can't pray in English. All I can do, I'm, ah! And this went on. I didn't realize this went on for two hours. As I'd allowed myself to stay on call and not go for a run or shake off that feeling or, but to actually pursue what was going on within my life as God was calling my beeper to get down with him. And, 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 then, and then the heavy, the, the screen just disappeared. And then the voice of the Holy Spirit spoke directly into my spirit and said, this night your father is going to bow the knee to me. And so I assumed from what the Lord said to me that I'd just been involved in praying and interceding my father into the kingdom. The next day, we didn't have cell phones back then. The next, we didn't have email back then. This is the olden days. <laughs> On the landline, ring, ring. You know the old dial thing? You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ring, ring. You know, no caller ID. I wonder who this is, you know. <laughs> you remember those days? Oh, this is exciting. I wonder who's calling me. <laughs> Pick up the phone. And my dad never used to ring me. This is my dad on the phone. He says, James, I've got something amazing to tell you. He said, last night, my partner and I went to this meeting. There's this fellow called Bill Sabritsky, and we went to this meeting. And he said, we went up the front at the end of the meeting, 
And he said, I've given my life to Jesus. (sighs) And I was weeping and weeping as I suddenly realized my availability to be on call had just dramatically paved the way through intercession and prayer for my father to give his life to Christ. And he had a sudden death. He died suddenly. He, he ended up marrying the lady that he had been living with. And they'd just been on a honeymoon and he was shifting his stuff out of his... So I'd just done his wedding a week before. And he was shifting all of his stuff out of his house and he was cleaning out his fridge and his deep freezer. And as he cleaned out, he'd been an asthmatic all of his life and he used a cleaning product he'd never used before. And it sparked a huge asthma attack and he literally fell into the freezer and died. So I did, I did, his, I did his wedding a week ago and then I, uh, two weeks later I was doing his funeral. But you know what? He was soundly saved, loving Jesus, following Jesus, serving Jesus because he'd received the Lord into his life. One other story before I finish and this was one when I was in the Solomon Islands a few years ago. And we'd been hardcore ministering and, uh, and we come back to the main island. It was our last night in the islands. I'd had a team of about eight people that had been with me. Everybody was so tired because we'd been going day and night doing ministry. And we came back. But in my spirit, you see, this is where when you have a relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit is stirring something within you, you've got to be able to follow and pursue what you're feeling. And I was just as tired as the other guys. And I got the youngest guy on my team because I thought he'd at least have some energy. And I said, let's go to church tonight. It was a Sunday night and we were flying out Monday morning. And I, and I went to the pastor who'd been my translator and said, hey, where can we go to church? And he said, I know, we'll go to the head church of all the churches you've been preaching and we'll go to the main church. So we walked into the building. We were about 10 minutes late and we walked into the building. And the last time the pastor had been there, the door that we walked through was the back door. This time we walked in through that door and we walked straight onto the stage. (laughs) And the pastor's standing there and he's looking at this tall white guy. And he he goes like, he's going like this. He said, who are you? I'm just a preacher from New Zealand. Sorry to interrupt your meeting. And there's 400 faces looking at me in this, in this meeting. And, uh, and he says, oh, why don't you just take a seat over there? And uh, this guy had been former, formerly high Anglican. He was an, uh, he'd been the archbishop of the Solomon Islands, but he got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he'd left the Anglicans and he'd started a Pentecostal movement in the Solomons that was spreading like wildfire. And so I went to sit down in the seat, two seats back, and he's sitting in the front row. And all the way through the worship, which was just like I thought I was in heaven, the Solomon Islanders really know how to worship God. And I was sitting there, and he kept giving me these furtive glances. And, uh, and so the singing's still happening. They're on the last song before the preacher's getting ready to preach. And I had no idea that the preacher hadn't turned up. And he comes back to me, and I found out later on that he'd been in ministry for 40 years, and he'd never, ever done this. He'd never given his pulpit to a stranger. And he walked around on that last song, and he said to me, young man, he said, I've never met you before, but God's just spoken to me that you are to be our preacher tonight. Would you preach for me? And I had no sermon notes, I had, but I had a Bible. That's good enough, eh? I had a Bible. <laughs> that, that's the acid test when you're a follower of Jesus, you know. Can you just preach from a Bible? 
And so I and, and he says, Will you preach for me? And in that half second time of response, literally in half a second, a millisecond, God rifled a message out of the book of Joel straight into my spirit. And so I stood up and I preached, and I, I was 20 minutes into the message, and the Holy Spirit began to move in the building. And in the Solomon Islands, they're the only nation in the world that has experienced nationwide revival. In 1969 and 1970, they had a revival that swept through every single island right across the nation. Thousands upon thousands of people got saved. So there's a residue of revival in the nation. And as I'm preaching, and the Lord's really ministering to people, suddenly the whole congregation, 400 of them, get up and it's like, this is poor Kiwi boy, and they're playing bull rush with me, and they're, they're, they're rushing the stage. <laughs> and they all come running up, men on one side, woman on the other side, and they come running up to the stage, and I'm going, I'm, I'm saying to myself, how rude, I haven't even finished my message yet. And I'm frantically thinking, well, I've never had this before. They don't do it like this back in New Zealand. (laughs) And as I'm standing there, the Lord said to me, I want you to release my power, and I'm going to come like a mighty rushing wind into this building. And so I stopped preaching. That was a good thing to do. I stopped preaching, and I said, in the name of Jesus, this was all by faith to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, through being on call, This all happened because I made a decision. If you heard the message this morning, divine sequences of events throughout of our faith and obedience to the Lord. God opened up still to this moment, the most magnificent moment I've ever experienced in 30 years of ministry. And as I stood, I literally said, I now release the power of the Holy Spirit to come into this building. And as I did that, Literally from the back of the church all the way to the front, the whole congregation got mowed down by a powerful rushing wind that swept into the building. Mothers holding their newborns went down onto concrete floor as the power of God hit them. It was the most holy moment I've ever, ever experienced. And I'm watching, I'm watching guys that are like, 110 kgs fall on top of women who are like 50 kgs. And I'm thinking, there's going to be, we need an ambulance in here. <laughs> People are getting going to be hurt. <laughs> and, 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 and then it was absolutely incredible. I'm standing there and I, I've never walked, I've never been this way before. I don't know what to do. And, I, and my question is, literally, all my questions were, what, what now? What now, Lord? And as I'm standing there, I'm saying, what now, Lord? And before I could even answer, before God could even answer the question, right in the back corner of the building, the shriek goes up in the, in, in the far corner. And then somebody comes and grabs me. And I have to walk through all the bodies that are everywhere. And I walk across to the other side and they begin to show me this woman who's been born with a club foot. And as she's been lying on the ground, the Holy Spirit's taken this bent foot and he's gone. 
And they all knew her. And the place just went ballistic. And then heaven came down. And then, and then people were laughing. Then people were crying. And then people were rolling around on the ground. It was like Holy Spirit pandemonium broke out in that place. It was absolutely phenomenal. How did it all happen? Staying on call. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we, I don't know what's going to happen next, but as we, as we contemplate what it means to draw from the well spring of life, my prayer tonight, Lord, is that fresh wells will be cracked open, that rivers of living water you promised would be our portion tonight, Lord, that new hunger and thirsting after righteousness, Lord, knowing the promise that we shall be filled that you would help us to engage you like we've never engaged you before, that you would build, Lord, a rhythm of intimacy within our lives in which no demon or devil would be able to crack the code and break into this majestic relationship that you're forming within our hearts. So, Lord, I thank you for the Rock Church here in Wellington. I thank you for every person that is here, if this message is being recorded for those, Lord, that are listening to this message right now, I pray for them that the ache in our heart would be unbearable and the only way that we can fulfill it is to be at the feet of Jesus. Show us your ways, teach us your rhythms, and may we engage you as we've never done before. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you, Father.